Lord Christ, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the ways that uh, you bring joy to us in worship. Lord, we thank you for these uh, passages of Scripture that we'll um, spend some time unpacking. Um, We ask that you would help us, um, just as was said at the men's retreat, uh, the men's uh, dinner this last week, would you help us start from a place of um, knowing your love? Um, Would you help us to hear the correction, hear the conviction, um, hear the warnings from a place of love? Lord, we thank you that you drew near to us, that you you, you gave your life upon the cross that we might Um, get ours back. Um, So help us now as we come under your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Each night, uh, as my wife and I prepare our children for bedtime, um, we have a a tradition. My wife leads us in a singing of uh, a hymn. Over the last month, we've been singing um, each night the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Um, Some of the the sweetest moments we have as a family happen during this time, even though there's often interruptions uh, and often arguments about who gets to sit where. Now, there's a line in that song that most of us know, but I wonder, do we fully grasp the meaning? Um, If you know it, sing it with me. Please sing it with me. Joel, here goes nothing. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Well done. Thank you. I just have one question. What's an Ebenezer? If you attended this last uh, men's retreat, you might have an idea as we took some time to make some Ebenezers of our own. The Hebrew word Ebenezer literally means stone of help. Um, It comes from 1 Samuel chapter 7. And we see this story of the people of Israel repenting of the fact that they had been worshiping idols. They destroy all of that, and they try to leave that old way behind when all of a sudden there's a crisis. They're surrounded by the Philistines. They're outnumbered, and they don't know what to do. And so they ask Samuel, Samuel, please cry out to God for us that he might save us. And God does just that. He makes a loud noise in the Philistine camp, They mistakenly believe there are more Israelites than in fact there are, and they flee, and the Israelites pursue them and overtake them. It was a great victory for Israel that day. And so Samuel sets up in front of the people a large stone, a stone that he calls an Ebenezer, so that at that very place where God saved them, every time the people of Israel walk by it, They remember their one true source of hope. Without that reminder, they would be prone to forgetting, prone to wander. I wonder if we can relate. 
Um, so we're a little bit more than halfway through. I know you don't believe me. We're a little bit more than halfway through our sermon series on 1 Corinthians. I think it's the 17th time we've unpacked this book together, and there's maybe 32 that'll take us all the way to Advent. So stay tuned. Over the past four weeks, we've been discussing um, Paul's response to the practice of the Corinthians of eating food sacrificed to idols in pagan temples. Um, Paul has given them several warnings. The first is that by doing this, they can compromise the faith of others. He goes on to say that, in fact, they should lay down their rights for the benefit of others, and that's the very thing he's done for them. If these first two lines of argumentation were not effective enough, he has a third, and it's sure to capture their attention. It's not simply others whose faith is in danger by their practices, but they themselves have put themselves in a precarious spot by carrying on the way that they do. Um, take a look at the outline on the screen of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. Um, I see in Paul's argument a structure that's common in different biblical passages called a chiasm, where the beginning and the end mirror each other, and they work towards a center uh, that's intended to help us um, see uh, clearly something of great importance. In the first four verses, Paul asserts that God has been faithful. God has delivered them in the past in significant and meaningful ways in the Exodus. In verses 5 and 6, he warns them against following the example of those people who gave in to evil desires. In verses 7 through 10, we get four concrete examples, times in which the people of Israel perished in the wilderness because of their practices. In verses 11 and 12, we get a warning again, this time, against having a presumptuous faith, a faith that assumes God's blessing no matter what we do, and takes for granted his good gifts. And finally, and thankfully, it ends on a bit of a high note with hope for God's future deliverance. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, if you'd like, uh, in the blue Bibles that are in the seats near you, we're still on page 957. Join me in verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Um, Paul begins this argument by reminding them of the Exodus, that God saved the Israelites from bondage to slavery in Egypt, that he brought them into the wilderness and that he gave them a new home. There's a bit of a curious detail there, though. He refers to these past people as our fathers. Now, Paul can rightly say our, because Paul himself is ethnically Jewish. But the vast majority of his hearers are Gentiles. They come from other ethnic backgrounds. 
So Paul is making a very important argument here that matters to us even today. Because of their faith in Christ, they, were, they have become part of the family of God. Israel's history is their history. And so too, we are part of that family, and that is our history. Paul then points to five major acts uh, in which God delivered his people. Um, the first one uh, we see is uh, shade, the cloud. <laughs> shade from the scorching heat. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> we see a dry path through the sea. We see a faithful leader in Moses. God gives them spiritual food and spiritual drink. What's interesting is um, with each and every one of these things, Paul emphasizes the all. Right? That word all appears five times. Not by mistake, but in order to emphasize the fact that all of the Israelites experienced this together. All of them knew God's saving power, and yet their responses varied significantly. Now let's keep reading. Verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. This section builds on the warning that we saw at the end of chapter 9. Um, the warning against being disqualified from the race. All of the Israelites began the race together. They followed Moses in faith out into the wilderness. When they came to the Red Sea and it parted before them, they walked through it on dry ground. That took a lot of faith. And they all saw how God delivered them, making the sea close back in on their enemies. However, while on the journey in the desert, most of them were overtaken not by the Egyptians, but by their own evil desires. Rather than remembering God's past faithfulness, rather than turning to him as they experienced new challenges, they turned to that which cannot save, and they did things their own way. The Corinthians are in danger of something similar. And so Paul continues to develop his argument, this time citing four specific examples of the Israelites' disobedience. Uh, in a sense, he shows his work. Um, you'll see on the screen, I've summarized them, verses 7 through 10. Um, each one contains a specific instance. And I also have put the reference uh, from the Old Testament passage that Paul is alluding to. Um, you're welcome to take a picture of this or go back uh, and, and take a screenshot off the video. I think it would be helpful um, to read these things in their full context um, at some point. Um, so in verse 7, we see that they participated in idol worship uh, as they ate food and drink sacrificed to the golden calf. We see in verse 8 that they engaged in some of the pagan cultic sexual rituals that were accompanied um, the acts of worship of these uh, foreign gods. We see in verse 9 that they tested the Lord specifically by being ungrateful, by despising the good provision he had given to them. And the result of that is that an outbreak of serpents, venomous, 
vipers uh, entered their camp. And in verse 10, Paul alludes to the fact that they complained against God and against Moses and encountered uh, the wrath of a destroying angel. Um, Anthony Thistleton points out in his commentary that all four of these instances have something in common. They were each motivated by a destructive craving of the people. Those who perished were led to disobedience because they craved food and sex, comfort and control, and they gave in to those cravings rather than resisting them. Um, the reality is the Corinthians are doing much the same. This is what's motivating their behavior. This is what's motivating their disobedience. And if we're honest, we can relate. James uh, 1, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, describe this situation this way. It says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. On this morning, we would do well to reflect upon what is it that drives our behavior? What are the things that that cause us to work hard or what are the things we aspire towards? If we're honest, um, most of that is probably not a spirit of gratitude. Most of that is probably not a... um, yeah, a sense of thanking the Lord for what he's done in Christ. When we're aware of the things that are driving us that are not of Christ, we can confess them, repent of them, and ask God for help. And he is faithful, as we'll see in a minute, he's faithful to deliver us. All right, so having cited these concrete examples, having shown his work, Paul makes another warning statement. I'm gonna read this one from the message. These are all warning markers. Danger in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our position in the story, our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive or self confident. You're not exempt. You can fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about the self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God-confidence. This warning parallels our gospel passage this morning from Matthew chapter 7. The people who uh, perished in the wilderness... They never saw the judgment of God coming. Neither do the servants who say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus on judgment day. They don't see it because they've grown complacent. They have a presumptuous faith, believing that because they've enjoyed a special position or privilege with God in the past, that they can get away with anything. They have taken God's grace for granted. So too, the foolish man who built his house upon the sand must have thought for a time, wow, this is a beautiful house. It's invincible. And yet, when the storms came, 
And by the way, it's when, not if, the storms came. Its utter vulnerability was exposed. So what do we do with passages like this? Passages that are sobering, that are hard, that make us wonder, Lord, what will you say to me? How do we avoid hearing those words of Jesus? I never knew you. Depart from me, you doers of evil. Well, he doesn't leave us without an answer. Thanks be to God. We must be like the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. We must hear the teaching of Jesus and put it into practice rather than just assuming that because we've heard it, um, we're good. So now that school is back in session, I have some homework for you. You can groan. It's okay. Chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew's gospel, um, they contain some of the most concentrated and challenging teachings of Jesus. I want to encourage you this week to read through it in its entirety. Take your time. You can do a little section each day. And ask yourself these three questions on the screen. When have you received God's blessings in unexpected ways? Which of the sayings or teachings of Jesus do you find so hard to live out? And definitely ask yourself the third question, too. (laughs) Where do you find encouragement and hope in Jesus' words? And as you reflect, invite the Holy Spirit. Spirit, teach me, uh, truly teach me to live uh, out what I hear from Jesus. Show me where I'm hearing but not doing the things which I'm called to do. And I'm certain in his mercy God will help you. Um, None of us will ever embody the teachings of Christ perfectly. That's not exactly the point either, right? But day by day, asking God for help, we can grow in obedience as we eagerly anticipate Christ's return. All right, so as I said, Paul ends on a hopeful note, and we're going to take a look at it now. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Paul reassures the Corinthians that they are not powerless. They don't actually have to give in to these evil desires which come upon them. They can resist. How? Not through their effort, not through trying harder, not through promising to do better. But Paul specifically tells them, listen, God is faithful. It's God who is willing and able to act upon our behalf when we're struggling with temptation. Paul reassures us that God provides a way of escape when we are tempted. The Africa Bible commentary makes note of the fact that this language describing a way out was often used also to describe a mountain pass, a way through the mountains, 
that didn't require you to go over the mountains. It's not like an easy path, right? <laughs> Let's be clear about that. If we've ever been hiking, you know that. But it's certainly easier than trying to go straight up and straight over. Um, it's a reminder that even though temptation and, and the way out of temptation is not an easy path, it is a possible path for us to take, that we have a choice by God's grace um, to walk in, uh, in his ways. Um, in my own life, I've learned two things about these escape paths, which maybe you have too and could be helpful. The first is we don't have to walk the path alone. In fact, we would do well to find a friend, to confess our sins to another, to ask for help and support, to recognize that we need the prayer and the hands laid on us by those who also love the Lord and who also struggle just as we do. The, the second is this, God's grace meets us with each step. Sometimes as we imagine Right, the healing, the hope, the transformation, which we hope for. Sometimes when we imagine it, it feels insurmountable. It feels unattainable. It feels like it's too far off. And so we don't take the first step. But God's grace is always present in the here and now. And it's always just enough to take that next step. Next month uh, will be the four-year anniversary of my ordination as a pastor. Um, shortly thereafter, my wife um, gave me this ring, which I wear on my right hand. Uh, it's simple. It's made of sterling silver. It has a cross in the center. And it has functioned to me like an Ebenezer. I take it everywhere I go, and it reminds me of the truth of the gospel, if I let it. <laughs> Soon after I received it, I debated, how should I wear this cross? Um, because like our cross here, the centerpiece is up above the center, right? It's, uh, it's not centered within the vertical range of the cross. So I, I figured I could wear it facing outward um, so that others could see the cross right side up. Or I could wear it like this so that I could see the cross clearly. It probably took me longer to make that decision than it should have. <clears throat> I chose the latter. I wear the ring like this so that I can see the cross always before me. So as I do things with my hands, I, I can look down and remember who I am. I don't wear this ring to tell other people that I'm a Christian. I wear this ring to remind myself that by grace, that is who I am. I need the daily reminder that Jesus actually laid down his life on something that looks like this. And he's inviting me to do the same. So when I feel proud, when I feel angry, when I feel tempted by this or that vice, I would do well to look down at my own right hand and remember God's faithfulness and the one who sits at God's right hand. What helps you remember God's faithfulness? Maybe it's a tattoo. Maybe it's a, that thing of cedar, that Ebenezer of cedar that you, you carved at the men's retreat this year. Maybe you can't really think of anything. You're not entirely sure if you have an Ebenezer. 
I'd encourage you to find something. Something to serve for you as a daily reminder of God's goodness and faithfulness. Ebenezer's are powerful. But the power doesn't come from within the thing. The power comes in the fact that it points to the one true God who gave his one and only son that we might not perish in the wilderness as our forefathers did, but have life and life eternal. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have shown your love for us in so many ways. Um, But one clear way we see in Scripture this morning is you've shown your love to us by giving us a warning. Lord, as, as I often try to do with my kids, you've made us aware of the ways that our choices have consequences. Lord, we know we cannot choose your love and grace apart from your love and grace. And so we ask this morning that you would help us. Lord, help us to choose life and life eternal. Lord, help us to choose to desire uh, and and transform our desires that we might desire the things of your kingdom rather than the evil things of this world. Lord, we are powerless in ourselves, but you are a change maker. Lord, draw us closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.